Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. The sermon series is entitled Roller Coaster. Five weeks we're talking about learning to embrace the ups and downs of life. Today is sermon number three. You'll find yourself smack dab in the middle of this five-week sermon series. We said it begins by, you know, getting a ticket to ride. And, and then we said, what's the, what's the front row seat look like? And in week number three, what we're looking at is the view from the top. Why? Because the gospel of Luke chapter nine is all about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna say disciple of Jesus Christ. You say it with me. Disciple of Jesus Christ. It means to be a follower of Jesus. And as we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that it's not a smooth ride. It's often a terrifying ride. It's not a boring ride, it's often a thrilling ride. But in the midst of the ride, we need to embrace the ups and downs, especially when we get to the top. Luke chapter number nine talks about the disciples at a mountaintop experience as they witness Jesus Christ glorified and transfigured before them. Do you remember riding the roller coaster for the very first time? Do you, do you remember the old wooden roller coasters as you click, 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 up to the tip top of the summit right before you fall? And if you remember, there's a beautiful view that you begin to look around and see. From there, you can see what nobody else can see. And as a child, you forget about the drop. You start looking around and, and you're like, there's the, there's the parking lot. There's our car. There's our car, Dad. There's our car. And he's like, yeah, look at our hotel. You can see our hotel. Do you see our hotel? And then you look down and you're like, there's Mom sitting on the bench waiting for us. Mom, Mom. And then in that moment, you just dive into the ride. And then after the ride, you get off and you run up to your mom and you try to explain what it was like being at the very tip top. Mom, we could see our hotel and, and we could see our, 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 our car and I, we could see you. Did you see us? And no matter how much you explain it, she'll never fully grasp what it's like to truly have a view from the top because she didn't experience it herself. I find that that's the way it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. When you're a real follower of Jesus Christ, there are these mountaintop experiences where you have moments with God that are indescribable. And, and you know that there are other individuals who have heard about Jesus and you try to go and tell them about those moments. I was alone in the car listening to Christian music and I had to pull over, I was just crying and I was thinking about how God saved my soul and how he's taking me to heaven and how my life has changed and man, God just touched my heart. Or I was alone with the Lord and I opened the word of God early in the morning and the word of God just spoke to me. The book from the book of Psalms just spoke to me and there's this moment where you know what it's like and other people who have experienced know what it's like, but you're trying to explain it to a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a relative, and they just don't get it. 
Man, I was going to this church at Southern Hills and I was hearing this preacher and he was so good. Let's try it again. I was at this church, Southern Hills, and I heard this preacher, he was so good. That's not necessary. And, and you, I've, been, I've been sitting where you sat in the preaching of the word of God. It touches you. Something changes inside of you. And you're awakened to God in a way that you were not awakened to God before. And it just, it hits you. And then you go and try to explain it to a friend. And they're like, oh, that's good, that's good. They don't get it because they didn't experience it. Today, for the disciple, I'm gonna share three views from the top, three things that we can see that are very hard to describe to those who are blind to it. If you're a seeker here today, you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, man, we are so honored that you're here today, thrilled that you could be here. And this is gonna be an interesting sermon for you because you're going to get an outsider's perspective of what true Christians really see as they follow Jesus Christ. Do you wanna know what the view from the top is for the disciples? In this passage, Luke chapter nine, we get three aspects that the disciples see more clearly than the rest of the world. Number one, here it is, number one, we can see the real Jesus. Once you spend time with Jesus Christ, you can see the real Jesus. Now you say, as opposed to the fake Jesus? Yes, yeah. In our passage, Luke chapter number nine, you're gonna see in verse number 18, look at what it says. And it happened as Jesus was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And Jesus asked them a question. I have to paint the context so you know what's going on. If you remember a moment ago, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 multitude on the hillside. And as the disciples were cleaning up the 12 baskets of leftovers, Jesus went into the mountains to spend time alone with God the Father and pray. And as he was praying, the disciples finally came to Jesus and they walked up to Jesus and Jesus looked up and said to the disciples, guys, I have a question for you. Who do the crowds say that I am? Jesus says, I, I know I'm the leader, so I'm the last one to hear what everybody says. So I wanna know from you, you're in the crowds, who do they think I really am? And so the disciples replied back to Jesus and said, some think you're John the Baptist. Remember he was killed and they think you're John the Baptist who came back from the grave. Others think you're Elijah because there was a rumor based upon Old Testament prophecies that, the, uh, that Elijah would come back before the Messiah. Some think you're Elijah come back from the grave. Others think you're one of the prophets who have come back from the grave. And Jesus looked at them and said, but who do you say that I am? Hey friends, look up here. Let me ask you a question. The people that you know that are not Christians, who do they think Jesus is? You know better than I do. I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor. I spend most of my time here among Christians. But you go out there among the crowds, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your relatives. Think about it for a moment. Who do they think Jesus is, Mike? Who, who, who is he? They, they think Jesus is like, like these people, right? Some think that Jesus is a prophet, a good man. There are very few people you'll talk to that are like, I hate Jesus. Most people are like, oh, Jesus, man, he's great. The problem is that they believe 
in Jesus and they like Jesus, the problem is they don't know who Jesus really is. They don't know the real Jesus. You see, humans have a tendency to try to take Jesus and mold Jesus into their own image of what they want Jesus to be, not who Jesus really is. You've seen this with your friends and family, coworkers, neighbors, people that you know who don't really know the real Jesus. You say, well, like, what kind of images do they have of Jesus today? Well, I gotta tell you, it's not just that they have these images. Some of us have these images of Jesus as well. I've been guilty of all of these. For example, some people think of Jesus just as religious Jesus, right? He's like this very religious figure, kind of like the Pharisees would have been in the Bible. He walks around in special clothes and special cloaks. He always holds his hands like this, you know, and he's blessing people, always. Bless you and bless you and bless you. You say you're making fun of it. I'm making fun of it historically and biblically because when you actually study it, that's not at all who this Jewish carpenter was. He wasn't a European man who walked around with his hands all twisted, blessing people, blessing people, blessing people. That's not who he was. But when I say Jesus, some of us in this room, we think of this huge religious figure that is so unrelatable to any man or any woman that you know. So some people think of religious Jesus when they think of Jesus. Some people today don't think of religious Jesus, they think of uh, cool guy Jesus. Say, what do you mean cool guy Jesus? That's Jesus to them. (laughs) A lot of Americans think of Jesus, they're like, "You, you like Jesus? They're like, Jesus? Yeah, I like Jesus, Jesus is cool, man. Jesus is great, Jesus likes me, Jesus likes you. I know I screw up, Jesus knows I screw up. In fact, he probably screws up. In fact, he probably likes the fact that I screw up. Jesus just is so awesome and he's so cool. And anytime I do something bad, he's kind of like, I don't wanna look. Because Jesus is just cool. He's like a motivational speaker. He's like a life coach. He just wants you to live your best life now. And if you can figure out the best moment of your life, Jesus is like, good for you. He just wants your happiness. That's all Jesus wants. And they kind of got this weird image of Jesus. Some people have an image of Jesus that he's angry Jesus. Like, Like he's just holy anger all of the time. And this is true if you, maybe you grew up like I did, Baptist, and some of you grew up with like these Baptist images. In fact, there are some preachers, their favorite image of Jesus is when Jesus goes into the temple and turns over the money changers' tables, grabs a whip and beats people. Every time you talk about Jesus, they're like, you remember that time Jesus got angry? <laughs> I like that Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like getting a whip and beating people, you know? There's all these great stories of Jesus and their favorite moment is when Jesus just loses it, you know what I mean? And they don't realize that Jesus didn't lose it. He was completely in control. And they're actually blaming their own anger issues on one moment where Jesus was bringing divine judgment as a prophet upon evildoers. And and like, I gotta be honest, sometimes I fall into this trap big time. The reason is because of the way I grew up. I got this idea. In fact, sometimes I'll go back and listen to my own sermons And I'll notice parts that are overly angry. And I'll think, you know what I'm doing? I'm just reflecting my own anger, not the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you ever guilty of these? Sometimes when people think of Jesus, they think of um, Jesus, not as angry Jesus or cool guy Jesus. Sometimes people think of American Jesus. You say, there's American, yes, American Jesus. (laughs) Right, he's got an AR-15 and a Bible in his hand, you know what I mean? 
Like his favorite moment is the moment he signed the Constitution, you know what I mean? Like his entire coming to earth was basically all about establishing the United States of America 1,700 years later. That's why he came. Do you realize that there are people, that's their image of Jesus? Am I wrong or am I right? Some of you are like, I don't like this sermon right now. (laughs) Some people have this this, uh, American Jesus. Some people have this hippie liberal Jesus that they like, right? Jesus drives a Prius, you know what I mean? Jesus' big goal is to make sure all the plants and trees in your backyard are safely taken care of. I mean, his big goal is to make sure everybody's at peace. He just wants everybody to hold hands. Just be nice. Why aren't you nice to people? Everybody, just be nice. (laughs) Now that I've effectively offended everybody in the room... Who do disciples see? Well, some think you're hippie Jesus, and some people think you're American Jesus. And honestly, some people think you're like angry all the time. And some people think that you're just this religious figure that's impossible to touch. Who do we think you are? We're like Peter, we think you're the Christ, the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the one who came and died upon the cross for our sins. You're the second Adam who who never sinned. And instead of condemning us to death, you died in our place so that we could be saved. You were buried and you rose from the grave and you offer salvation to all of us. And now we view you not only as our savior, but we view you as our Lord and our master and we bow before you. You're our King of kings and Lord of lords. That's, that's who you are. And that's what a true Jesus follower sees when he sees, he sees Jesus. Number one, what is it like when you have a view from the top? Well, first of all, you see, as a disciple should, the real Jesus. And the other ones just fade away into modern idolatry. Number two, as a follower of Jesus Christ, number two, we see the cost of discipleship. And that's what we see in the very next passage as it goes on in verse number 23. What do we see from the top? Well, we see the real Jesus. We also see the cost of discipleship. You say, what do you mean the cost of discipleship? Have you ever experienced buyer's remorse? You ever purchase something and then like 30 days later, you're like, I don't think I should have bought the thing but I bought the thing and I wish I didn't buy the thing. Anybody ever experienced this before? Has anybody ever felt like they were being tricked into buying something? Anybody, you're like in the middle of buying and all of a sudden your red flags are going up. You're like, wait a minute, I should not. And sometimes people come to church and they think they're being talked in to Christianity. Let me be very clear. I don't know what you've experienced. Maybe there have been some um, people trying to sell you on Jesus. I am not one of them. The offer is very clear from Jesus. He loves you, he died for your sins, and he wants to save your soul. But the choice is totally up to you because the cost of discipleship is high and you may not wanna pay the price. You just may not wanna pay it. You're gonna calculate the cost and you're gonna maybe decide it's not for me. 
Look, look what he says in the passage. Jesus says in verse number 23, if anyone desires to come after me, if you really wanna be my follower, really wanna be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, okay, fellas, ladies, if you really wanna follow me, this is what you gotta do. You have to deny yourself. The life of a Christian is daily denial. It's saying no to other things that other people say yes to. It's knowing I want to do that, but I won't do that because it will displease my Savior. I want to go there, but I won't go there because I know if I do go there, it'll put something between me and God. I want to partake of that, but I won't partake of that because if I do partake of that, it'll somehow hurt my walk with God or hurt my Lord and Savior or destroy my testimony. I won't do it. I deny myself so that I can follow Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus was. He denied his own desires to follow Jesus Christ. Denial, self-denial. But he goes on. If anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You say, what do you mean take up your cross? What did Jesus do? He picked up his cross, went to Calvary, and he died. He's essentially saying, if you want to follow me, you have to give your whole life to me. You say, but I have to give my whole life? Look, let me be really clear on this. Jesus doesn't want your Sundays. He wants your whole week. He doesn't want your tithe. He wants the totality of your entire net worth. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. Lock, stock, and barrel. He wants everything. He's buying you wholesale. He wants the entire thing. He died and shed his blood so with his blood he could purchase you for eternity. You say my whole life, but what about my life? I want my life. What about my life? Well, Jesus addresses your life, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Here's the thing people don't know. Every single person who tries their hardest to hold on to their dreams for their life, you lose it. You dream about something, you go after that dream, you obtain part of that dream, and it slips away. And Jesus said, what you don't realize is I want you lock, stock, and barrel. I want your whole life. And if you give me your life, guess what? I'll give you the life you've always wanted and dreamed of. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall save it. Don't you understand? Your entire life you've been trying to accomplish something and everything seems to be slipping through your fingers. And even when you win, you feel like a loser. You say, why? Because you've spent your entire life about your life. And Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You really want the life that you should live? Give your life to Jesus Christ and you'll find true life. And then he says in verse 25, for, you say, well, what about the world? My whole goal is to conquer the world. I want the world. I'm not a small dreamer. I have ambition. I want the world. Jesus says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and himself is destroyed in the end? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and destroys his own soul? You don't want the world, friend. You want God. There's a desire inside of you to get something and you think it's to get the world. It's not to get the world. It's to get the Son of God into your life. 
And that's the cost of discipleship. The cost goes both ways. The cost of discipleship is Jesus says, I'll give my whole life for you, but I'm asking you to give your whole life back to me. You say, that's a big price. The sticker shock. Does the sticker price ever shock you? Anymore, like, does it ever surprise you how much things cost now? Does it ever bother you how much things cost now? You ever drive by to get a gallon of gas and you're like, well, I could afford a half a gallon, you know what I mean? Or, or, or do you ever go to buy chicken at Albertsons? Anybody remember when chicken at Albertsons was $1.79 like a year ago? You remember that? And now it's like $74 a pound, right? It's so expensive. The cost of gas or chicken or, or children. Can I get an amen? Children are expensive. Like, I, I remember having children, and I remember thinking, nobody told me how much children cost. And then you have them, and then you're poor. Some of you, some of you are like, Pastor, I think we're poor. No, you have 12 children. That's how that works, right? It's a lot of kids, and they're expensive. So if you're a young couple here today, don't ever let anybody say, nobody told you how much they're gonna be. If you're young here today, you don't have children, let me tell you how much they're gonna be. Because we have official documentation, data from the Brookings Institute today. You know, literal data from the Brookings Institute that just came out a few months ago. Do you know how much it costs to raise a child from age zero to 18 in the United States of America today? Do you know how much it costs? $310,000. I'm going to say that again, and you go, no. Let's try that again. $310,000. Some of you can't even speak. You're so shocked. Some of you are like, tell me something I don't know. $310,000, that's a lot of money. That's a third of a million. If you got, if you got three kids, it means you're blowing a million bucks on those kids. Do you know what you can get for $310,000? I'll tell you what you can get. You can get this house. I looked it up. Now, the problem is, it's in Detroit. <laughs> so, you know, you know, well, you know. It's in Detroit. You can get, you can buy 200 ounces of gold for $310,000. You can buy 250 iPhones for $310,000. You can buy this Porsche, Tesla, and Range Rover, all three of them, for $310,000. You can buy, get this, a full tank of gas for $310,000. It's true. It's true. You can even click at the end. You just keep going. Or you can, or you can, or you can raise one child for $310,000. Now, for those who don't have kids, you might be asking the question, is it worth it? For those who have kids, if they're like 16, 17, you're like, I'm not sure yet. I gotta give back to you, I don't know. Because at this point, I'm thinking it's a no. I'm thinking, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't know. Yes, it's worth it. And we all know it's worth it. We all understand the cost is high, but the value is priceless. 
Say, Pastor Josh, if I follow Jesus Christ, like truly, like I'm gonna self-denial, I'm gonna give up everything, I'm gonna give Jesus my whole life, yes. Is it, is it, is it worth it? Friend, the cost is high, but the value is priceless. Like I'm telling you, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. You need to follow Jesus Christ with your life. First and foremost, what can we see from this view from the top, this mountaintop experience as a disciple of Jesus? Well, you can see the real Jesus. You can see the cost of discipleship. And lastly, you can see, and I love this last point, you can see the other side of suffering. The most amazing thing you can see from way up here is you can see the suffering, but you can see beyond the suffering. After Jesus tells the disciples, pick up your cross and follow me, he then leads them up to the top of Mount Horeb and he transfigures before them and they see the very glory of Jesus Christ. Look at what happens in Luke chapter number nine and verse number 28. Now, it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mountains to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. Now, where are the disciples at this point? Well, only three of them were with him, Peter, James, and John. And it doesn't tell us in Luke's gospel, but it tells us in the other gospels that all three of them fell asleep while they were praying. I've had Christians say to me before, Pastor, I feel really guilty. What happened? Sometimes when I'm praying early in the morning, I fall asleep. By the way, how many of you have ever, or late at night, you're praying, you're spending time, oh God, oh please, please, please be with my friend Bill, oh God. <laughs> you ever fall asleep while praying? Like look, if you've ever fallen asleep while praying, you're a real disciple, just mark it down. Like you're just like, you're, just, you're good, you're good. Like we all do it. It's awesome, it's not a bad thing. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, Jesus, is everything good? I hope you translate those groanings which cannot be uttered, you know, do the thing, you know. So they're falling asleep in the middle of the prayer time with Jesus, and Jesus, in the middle of it, starts to transfigure. That means he takes on a new visage. His appearance shifts in front of them. It's still Jesus, but he's slightly altered. Look at how it describes him. And he prayed, and the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men stood there talking with Jesus. They were a Moses and Elijah. And here we see the glorification of Jesus Christ in visage, in visible form in front of the disciples. Not the Jesus of earth who was a suffering servant who would be slaughtered at the cross. We see the glorious ancient of days lifted on high, bright and shining in his glorious white hair and his flaming fiery eyes as described in Revelation chapter one. He's the same Jesus, but he's different. He's glorified, he's elevated, he's perfected. And there are two people with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, how did the disciples know it was Moses and Elijah? It doesn't say. How did, he, how did they know? I got a theory. Name tags. <laughs> I think when you get your glorified body, they give you name tags. It's the only thing I can think of, but I don't know. Maybe you have a better idea. Behold, two men stood with him, both Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke. His decease, now this is really interesting verb, verbiage. Look at what it says. They spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. You say, you have a weird translation today. I'm speaking from the, King, uh, the new King James Version. 
But really, all of the different versions translate this very awkwardly. Some of them say they spoke of the exodus of which he would about to complete in Jerusalem. What? Some of them say he spoke of his death, which he should accomplish later in Jerusalem. It's a weird thing to speak of death as an accomplishment. It's especially weird to speak of death as in the past tense, but still something still future yet to happen. That's why it's awkwardly translated everywhere because the original language in the Greek was extremely awkward because it was explaining something theologically powerful. Moses, Elijah, who had died 1400 years and 800 years previously, were speaking to Jesus about the amazing moment of Jesus's life. The fact that he was about to go to Jerusalem and die upon the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. And in doing so, he would exodus all of, the, all of the human souls who believe on him out of purgatory, out of sin, out of slavery, out of hell, out of end, uh, end times of misery. Uh, he'll exit all of them into his glorious kingdom called heaven. This passage doesn't just talk about Jesus. It talks about you. That Jesus was going to die so that he could save mankind. Jesus was going to suffering, but he could see the other side of suffering. Just like Moses and Elijah. You see, Moses in his life, he suffered, but now he's standing here glorified in his new body. Elijah also suffered, but now he stood here in his glorified body. And the message for Peter, James, and John was, yes, Jesus would suffer and be glorified, but they too would suffer in this life and then be glorified. And so now that the disciples have the message from God, they're going to say something brilliant. Look at what Peter says. Peter says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He basically said, this is awesome. Let's set up an altar and worship you, Jesus. Also, let's worship Moses and worship Elijah. Now, let me ask you, Christians. Are we supposed to worship anybody but God? Yes or no? No. So Peter said something dumb. Shocker. And I love how the book of Luke describes the next words. It says, he knew not what he said. Have you ever been in a moment where you said something and you knew not what you said? Don't you wish you had an editor to say, and he knows not what he's saying, right? <laughs> and while he was yet saying this, now, how many of you, like Peter or like Josh, have said some really dumb things in life? Anybody say dumb things? Raise your hand if you have. And if you have it like us? Okay, good, we're all the same. We say some dumb things. But I promise you, you've never said something so dumb that a dark cloud rolls into the room <laughs> and God himself corrects you. And look at what happens to poor Peter. It says literally, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice, the voice of God, the voice came out of the cloud saying, uh, this is my beloved son, hear him. And God himself has to correct Peter. Why? Because the point wasn't about worshiping Moses and Elijah the point was, this is the unique son of God who will experience suffering 
as he exoduses out of this life. And so did Moses and so did Elijah. And so will you. Do you understand that your suffering is only temporary? You are in the midst of this process called sanctification, where while you become more and more like Jesus Christ, for those of us aging a little, our body is becoming less and less habitable. And as that happens, your body will begin to fade, corrupt, and die. The world itself is corrupted. The, the earth, the Bible says, groans in its desire for King Jesus to come and reestablish everything the way it's supposed to be. And so right now, there are individuals in this room who are truly suffering. But friend, according to this passage, what we see is though you suffer, glory is on the other side of that suffering. Some of you are suffering right now and I pain with you. For some of you, it's physical suffering. Some of you, it's emotional or mental struggle, relationship or financial. I want you to take a moment and see the other side. See the other side. Because this is God's promise to you as a disciple. You may not be able to enjoy the fruits of glorification today but you can experience the peace that comes with faith, that there is joy on the other side of suffering. Let's pray. Father, here's our prayer. It's simple from a simple folk today. Our prayer is that as we see this view from the top, from the mountaintop, we would see you for who you really are, not the images that the world creates trying to shift you and mold you and stuff you into their preconceived ideas of you. Help us to not only see the real Jesus, but to express the real Jesus. As we value and weigh the cost of discipleship, help us to see that the cost is high, but the value is priceless, that giving you our lives is the only decision we could possibly make. And lastly, Lord, for my friends in the room who are in the midst of suffering, they're going through their own passionate suffering. Lord, help them to see the glory, the joy, the beauty on the other side. Help them to make through it in this life and through this life. In the name of Jesus Christ. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, before we go, I just want to tell those who have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior today this. Just quietly before you and God. You can be born again. If you have never received Christ as your Savior, right now where you sit, you can call upon Jesus Christ and ask him to save you. And he will. In a moment, I'm going to point some people out at the end of the service, my deacons. And if you want to talk with somebody about how to be born again, how to get saved, I'm going to share with you how you can do that, okay? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my friends who so patiently studied with me today. Bless us that these ideas and thoughts from scripture would not quickly vanish from our minds, that we would come to you even daily with this and remember that beyond the suffering is the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you Amen. for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. 
If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.